something the leaders of this group talk about a lot was we prepare teachings, pray over teachings, is we ask, what does God want to say? What does the Spirit want to teach? Why is this not just a message to the group, a couple sentences in a text? Why isn't this just a revelation for me, but something um, that we want to dig into in a teaching format or in a podcast format? And I think for this particular teaching, I want to make sure you know as we walk in that you can, you know, pause the recording if you need to prepare your heart a little bit. But a lot of this is going to be things that it doesn't even matter if it's your first time ever hearing them. There are things that make us pause. There are things that make us say, how do I reconcile that with who I understand God to be? And can I? Do I need to deconstruct who I believe God is? Um, and I think the purpose of this is supposed to be that the more you know God, the fuller you know God, the more you see how worthy he is. So take a second, pause the video, however the recording, however long you need. And just prepare yourself because we're gonna, I'm gonna start in Lamentations. So it's Lamentations 2, 18 through 20. Uh, everything I'm gonna read is in the ESV, I believe. It says, Their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Look, O Lord, and see. With whom have you dealt thus? Should woman eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? And so the context of Lamentations is written by the prophet Jeremiah after God has destroyed Israel, uh, or Jerusalem specifically. And he just, God destroys his people utterly. They are, like the end of the said, eating the fruit of their womb, the children of their care. They're not just in cannibal, at the point of desolation to cannibalism, but cannibalism of their own children. <laughs> And Jeremiah, the Lord's prophet, when he writes of this, is commanding them to cry to the Lord with no respite, no rest. Cry until either you die or he saves you. Because they're in the midst of priest and prophet being killed in the sanctuary. There is the option that you will die before you see uh, redemption. He says, I know your circumstances. I'm staring at them and I'm telling you, cry with no respite. And so I'm going to read a little bit more of Lamentations then. 3, 17 through 26. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that I should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. A few verses later, Lamentations 3, 31-33. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he may cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. And so we actually read some of these uh, verses super out of context. You know, we're very encouraged by the idea of the steadfast love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Uh, We sing songs about that and we kind of ignore that they're, you know, just a few paragraphs away from children being eaten, the bodies of children being eaten by their mothers and the priests being killed in the sanctuary of the Lord. And so reading this, um, reading the hope of this, uh, where they're in the middle of endurance being perished and hope perishing with it, and then calling to mind and having hope in these things in the midst of this, I kind of had a, a two-part response. And my my first response was, uh, just reading it, I was like, okay, so the prophet of the Lord is saying, have hope in the Lord while you are in this desolate place. And and we don't even want to have hope in the Lord. And we're we're stressed out about our our jobs, uh, or our classes, or our our family lives. The little arguments we have, um, in the midst of the destruction of the people of God of the city where they dwelled, it says. But this I call to mind. Like it was an active choice. Um, and I just imagine how offended people might have been and then I think in that but in that exact position is there even room for offense anymore um but I also you have to ask do you this is the time of testing your faith did your faith survive this honestly too he's telling you God's mercies don't fail you're sitting in the midst of God's judgment um and and really, you're being asked, do you believe that he is still merciful, though he is also just? Uh, and then I, th- I think my second part reaction to this uh, is, this is my God. You know, it's easy for us to separate the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's easy for churches to just, like, not read Lamentations. Uh, and I understand why. Like, this is scary honestly Uh, but my god is the god who brought this destruction and grief though not from his heart didn't afflict from his heart it says but he does bring this on the israelites upon his people who failed um really less tried and failed and more refused to try and so failed at bearing his name as he had intended and i think we get really far away from that idea and so something, uh, again, if you need to pause the recording, that's totally like a great reason to use this platform. But what I want to ask is, does that in and of itself require a deconstruction of your image of God? 
I think so often we, we leave out God's wrath when we talk about his love. But in fact, the wrath that's required because of his righteousness, his justice, is actually a testimony to how much he loves us. Because we should have been that desolate. We should have been the Israelites. We should have been Jesus. Um, the humiliation he took on, the fate of Israel, all of that, that is the wrath of God. Jesus didn't just die to keep us out of this mystical, abstract idea of eternal hellfire or maybe eternal oblivion, um, but from this destruction. And so I don't want to leave the Israelite story incomplete. And uh, when I actually read through Lamentations, I, I ended and I was like, I feel like I should know my uh, timeline better of my history, basically, of the Bible because I was sitting there like, okay, what comes next? Like, I know there's like all these destructions of the temple and which one's which. And so looking into it, um, I want to read just a little bit of Ezra 9, 8 through 9. And it says, but now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves. Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our Lord, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And so at this time, um, they're being allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, and God leaves a remnant. Um, he shows that remnant his grace, his steadfast love. Um, and in that language, um, the language of remnant happens a few times. You see that idea that there's a remnant of the people of Jerusalem. And it reminded me of, Paul actually talks about it in Romans, Romans eleven five. He says, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And he's talking still in, in that context, he's talking about the remnant of Israelite, of the Jewish people. Um, he's talking to Gentiles. Of, yes, you as Gentiles were saved, but that doesn't mean an Israelite is not. It doesn't mean God disinherited Israel to in, um, and that is, no Israelite can now be inherited under the same covenant that you now are. And so Paul explains that he is an Israelite. He's called uh, to be a part of that inheritance of all nations through Christ. And so a few verses later, Paul shares uh, the good that God has brought from the stumbling of the Israelites. You know, we see all this destruction in the uh, Old Testament where the temple's destroyed and then the remnant are saved. And so what Paul says is Romans eleven eleven through 12. So it's a few verses later. He asks, so I asked, did they, the Jews stumble in order that they might fall by no means rather through their trespass salvation has come to the gentiles so as to make israel jealous now if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the gentiles how much more will their full inclusion mean and so there's two pieces of language i want to point out uh, one is that jealous at the time where like we translated the bible into english had less of a connotation of envy, of like, you have that and I want it, and more, I fear that I will lose what I have. Uh, 
And so I think that's an important connection here. Speaking of the Israelites' jealousy, they're nerv- they're scared they are losing their inheritance and their place with God and his kingdom as his children. But the other thing I think is important, um, and I think people stumble into Calvinism with this, but the language isn't really Calvinistic. And so Paul's not saying God willed Israel to stumble, uh, but that God made a plan amidst their stumbling that not only brought salvation to the Gentiles, but made Israel desire to be included again in that salvation, in that inheritance of the kingdom. Uh, And then a few verses later, there's uh, another piece that I think people get stuck on and maybe we ignore it in the church uh, and it's Romans eleven twenty one through 23. For if God did not spare the natural branches, the Israelites, neither will he spare you, the Gentiles. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. And so, there's severity towards those who have fallen. And reading this back-to-back with Lamentations, for me, it made so much sense. But it was, again, that question of, or that, that recognition of God did that to the Jerusalem because they broke their covenant because they did not bear his name they bore they they bore his name in vain uh and so this same God it says has severity towards those who have fallen and it says we can still be cut off so what does that mean for us what is the severity of God towards those who have fallen those those who aren't spared, those who are cut off after they've been grafted in. And there's two scriptures I want to look at um, in this con in this exact context of the the graf the branches that were grafted in and then were cut off. So one is Second Peter two twenty through twenty one. For if after they've escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to have turned back from the holy commandment delivered to them. And then Hebrews ten, twenty six through 31. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God and who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. When the Israelites did, they were desolate enough for cannibalism of their own children, and their priests were killed in the sanctuary that they had defiled. And how much worse for the one who profanes the blood of Christ that has saved them and outrages the Spirit of God. And I just again want to bring it back to the God of Israel that destroyed Jerusalem is still our God. He didn't change. And so I honestly went looking for an answer to uh, how much worse will be deserved. And at first my thought was of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, looking for examples of people who do trample um, the Son of God, the Word of God. They've profaned the sanctification that they have earned, they have not earned, but was given to them, earned by Christ was what I was thinking. But earned is a little belittling, honestly. Um, but they've outraged the Spirit of Grace. Uh, and so I think that was really what made me think of Ananias and Sapphira. They've lied to the Spirit. They've lied to God. And they've lied to the apostles. Um, the, so the story, if you don't know it, is in Acts 5. They lie to the apostles when they sell their house and give the money to the church. The, as the church is just starting up, they lie about how much money they received and say they're giving it all. And then they're literally struck down dead. Like, it's not, okay, I say struck down and you think lightning bolt. They just drop dead. And they have to be carried out to be buried. And they each do it individually. They both lie given the chance not to, not in the presence of their spouse. And so you see in that um, the hand of God in a supernatural act of destruction. And that, to me, was the most obvious connection to Lamentations that I already had in kind of in my sphere. Uh, But then looking at it deeper, there's also this pattern in the scripture that I feel like we see a lot in our own lives and we see it um, in people we know, but in ourselves and in like the steps we take. And that pattern is to be given up to our own passions and uh, to the deceiver that we are already following. So I'm going to read a few chunks of scripture. I'm going to read them back to back. I might pause in between. The first one's from Romans 1. I'm going to start in 21 to 25. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So I'm going to read Romans one twenty eight. also. I know I'm skipping a chunk, and if you read along, you will see that it is the chunk about the sexual nature, the giving up of natural passions. Um, I don't at all want to pretend that doesn't exist and I want to acknowledge that's there but it deserves a much different time and focus and a little more 
um, biblical research and scholarly scholarly understanding, I think, and a little more language, um, that it just deserves a little more than is fit for right now. And so I want to read Romans one twenty eight because honestly, it's maybe the most uncomfortable part of it for me, and the most straightforward. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So we see God give them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, dishonoring of their body. Um, and then to, he also gives them up to a debased mind to do what not to be, not, ought not to be done. So 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. This is Paul writing to Timothy. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. 1 Corinthians 5, 4-5, uh, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth in this, specifically about uh, man committing sexual immorality by sleeping with his father's wife. That might be his mom, might be a stepmom. It's not explicitly said. Um, and so this is Paul talking about, you've been handling this by letting it happen, maybe even cheering him on. And that's unacceptable. And so 1 Corinthians 5, 4-5 says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are, deliver this, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So I, I wanted to look at these three. There, there's um, more pattern to this as well, but God gives people up to their own lust that leads to their dishonor and to their debased minds. They have replaced him for their own images, and he gives them to their own ruin. And then Paul hands over to Satan those who are shipwrecking, shipwrecking their faith by rejecting the faith and good conscience. And then he instructs the church to also hand a man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that those men may ultimately, it says, learn to not blaspheme and may be saved in the day of the Lord. Ultimately, letting these people go into their flesh so that they may have a chance at salvation, at forgiveness, uh, because if they don't see their flesh destroyed, they're going to walk by their flesh instead of by the Spirit. And so I want to pause for a second and I want to kind of look at two different things and I want to ask first again hearing all of this together does your understanding of God account for this is there a reconciliation that has to happen between the God that you know is love and that is biblical that is scriptural in between the God who, you know, destroyed his people. And he strikes down those who attempt to deceive his church and his spirit. And he gives people up to the destruction that they choose when they see it unfit to acknowledge him. 
does your understanding of God account for that? Has anybody even ever really had you look at it? That it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the Lord. Because I don't think we can ignore that. Because if we ignore it, we don't understand the wrath that Jesus took, the debt that he paid, um, the debt that quenches the wrath of God. And if you need to pause with that, pause with that. Absolutely. But then I want to ask something else before we're done. And when you see this in your own life, especially this, this fact that God allows us to go into the destruction of our flesh, to follow our debased minds, how do you respond? When you're left to your own free will, when you're left to the consequences of that, when your free will leads you and takes you outside of the direction of the will of the Lord, when that's the direction you choose, is outside of God's will, how do you respond? Do we expect to leave God's will for our lives, but then receive the goodness he has willed for us? Do we expect him to act outside of his righteousness for us in order for us to receive that goodness Uh, Do we rage against God when he doesn't act outside of his righteousness to give us the goodness in his will, even though we are not walking in his will? And so Proverbs 19.3 says, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Uh, Some other translations of it, I believe, say, Man plots his own destruction, and then his heart rails against the Lord, rages against the Lord. And so, do we rage against God? In the midst of God's judgment, in the midst of being left to the destruction of our own debasement or of the deception and the deceptor that we have followed, when we're faced with the ruin of our lives that we lead without God having been faced with the truth and chosen the lie, how do you respond? How do we respond? Does your heart rage and rail against the Lord? Do you cry out until he hears you, knowing that his mercies are new and his love never fails, that it is steadfast? Jeremiah told Israel, told the people of Jerusalem to give themselves no respite, no rest in crying out to God, knowing full well that there were people being killed in the sanctuaries, children dying in the streets that may never see the response of God and he says cry out and God does give them a remnant much later do you cry out if you see the destruction would you cry out and I just I think about how could how could Jeremiah ask them of that how could he say cry out know that the Lord's mercies are new but do we not do we really believe that if we don't believe it in the face of calamity if we don't believe it in the face of justice how much did they mean anything they said about what they believed of this god whose name that they bore if when they came to face that everything he had said everything he had warned them of through his prophets was true they just gave up faith and how much then do we really believe in 
the fact that he is love and he is good and he does will good things for us if our crying is dependent on that our crying out is dependent on that quick response on a quick relief on um on God replacing his righteousness with anything besides the mercy given to us in Christ. I'm not saying Christ doesn't pay for those things. I'm not saying that, that there's anything that, that his sacrifice did not pay the debt of. But how often is that not what we're looking for too? 